Our Father God, we come to you. We pray that you would be generous with your Holy Spirit and send him now even to equip my mouth to speak what you would have me speak and to align my heart and words to your word and be with your people to equip their ears to hear that they would have their hearts aligned to hear and receive your word. We pray that you would orient us to live life as you have commanded it for us, which will lead to our joy and lead to your glory. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Once more, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, it was about 100 years ago or so that this holiday was first institutionalized in America as America led the way to try and honor mothers and celebrate motherhood. In the generations, in the years and decades that have since followed and ensued, that word has had many evolutions and many mutations as, as society has agreed less and less what that word means. What is motherhood? What does that mean? What does that entail? So if your daughter comes and asks you, what does it mean to be a mom, how do you answer? Well, it depends. It depends who you ask. It depends where you go for an answer. For example, this month's Time magazine had a front page article that the title was, Are You Mom Enough? And in fact, it caused a, quite a bit of stir and controversy because the cover photo is of a young woman with a three-year-old son standing on a stool being breastfed. And, and time probably timed that really well so that it would coincide with Mother's Day. All of us would be talking about it and thinking about it. And it sort of made waves throughout the web as, as people have started to talk again about motherhood and what makes up good motherhood. The conversation, at least in the article, is about this method of mothering called attachment parenting. And so the wisdom of that method says that if you're going to be good moms, that you need to be as attached to your children for as long as you can, as much as you can, for as long as possible. And so there's all kinds of techniques and philosophies thrown in about co-sleeping and how long you should breastfeed and, and how close you should be. And that is the vision of good motherhood. As you can imagine, many respond and say, no way, are you out of your mind? That is a prison and you, that is not at all how children should grow up and, and, and that doesn't help the child and it certainly is not freeing for the mom. It's a prison that you're going to put her into. And so some would say that what good mothering is is to throw off the shackles and the unnecessary guilt and excessive demands that come with motherhood, that a woman should be able to pursue ambition and career and not let things like husband or children detract her from that goal. Still others would disagree, right? So it sort of depends on who you ask. A few months ago, my Facebook wall was bombarded with links and comments to this Wall Street Journal article about tiger moms. Perhaps some of you saw that as well. Uh, a woman named Amy Chua had written an article about why Chinese mothers are superior to Western mothers. And if you read that article, you, you began to read about the Eastern philosophy of motherhood versus the Western philosophy of motherhood. And again, a provocative article that got everyone talking. In this worldview, it was the way to raise good children and be a good mother is to expect from them excellence and perfection, to not coddle them or cradle them and accept their failures, but to demand that they succeed. 
that the regimen for good mothering is no play dates and no computer games and no video games and no TV, but no extracurricular activities, but a strict regimen of repeated uh, repetitious exercise and training. That's what makes good mothers. You only have to read some of the 9,000 or so comments that that article stirred up to realize not everyone agrees. Some would say, no way, that is not the vision of motherhood. That produces robots, not children. You've got to love them and let them grow to be their own and to find their own way. It sort of depends on who you ask. There are still others who, who would hear all of this and say, listen, the entire conversation itself is backwards. Because there are some who would say, the more that you even talk about motherhood and talk obsessively about what is good motherhood, the more that you dive into that, the more regress rather than progress it is for women. Some would say the entire enterprise of motherhood itself should be abandoned or minimized at best if women are going to successfully make progress, if they're going to advance on all the advancements they've made over the last century or so. For example, a woman named Linda Hirschman wrote, again, a, a provocative book reviewed by all the major newspapers and magazines. Her title was Get to Work, a Manifesto for Women of the World. In it, she wrote a few simple rules that young women should follow if they are going to get ahead and succeed and be successful women and mothers. Her first rule was find the money because money is the marker of success. And so in this day and age, her advice to young women is you must earn your own money and the size of your paycheck is a barometer for the size of your success. She goes on to say the tasks of housekeeping and child rearing were not worthy of the full time and talents of intelligent and educated human beings. They do not require a great intellect. They are not honored, and they do not involve risks and rewards that risk brings. So her worldview would say, listen, no educated, self-respecting, intelligent woman would ever devote herself to the task of homemaking or child rearing. In, in that world view, and many hold to it, and it is well known and, and, pro, uh, and promoted throughout our day, that world view would say, listen, you know what kind of woman that world view adores? The college-educated woman who goes on to become an executive or CEO, who works 60 hours a week and will not allow the distractions of marriage or the inconvenience of things like children to get in the way of her ambition and to prove that she can get ahead in a man's world. You know what kind of woman that worldview hates, deplores, mocks, ridicules? A college-educated woman who gives herself to 60 hours of work a week at home and does not allow the titles and trinkets and toys of our culture to detract her away from her call to manage home, care for husband, raise children, who she sees not as an inconvenience, but as a blessing given by God in his world. It's just different world views. A woman named Dorothy Patterson, in trying to critique that kind of worldview, says this, she says, of course, much of the world would agree that being a housekeeper is acceptable as long as you are not caring for your own home. 
Treating men with attentive devotion would also be right as long as the man is the boss in the office and not your husband. Caring for children would even be deemed heroic service for which presidential awards could be given as long as the children are someone else's and not your own. I think she makes a valid point, right? And into that whole worldview, and, and we could keep going, if you listen to the conversation long enough, I think one thing that becomes clear is that things are not clear, that there's confusion, the whole thing is muddy, the, the whole thing is conflicted, there's conflict. If we were to just pass around a mic in this room itself, or to pass around a mic in our city and simply ask, what is motherhood? I think you would get a sense of how confused we are, how conflicted we are, how many different varying messages and visions we get for what it means to be a mother. A picture of that confusion. Recently, I read this book called The Hunger Games, which has become this popular movie. There's three books. Vince and Sue lent it to me. I'm not a fast reader. I finished all three in three and a half days. I couldn't put it down. Very engaging story. In it, the central character is this young woman, and, and she, I think, captures really well the tension and confusion of our day, that we're not really sure what it means to be feminine, what does it mean to be woman, what is womanhood or motherhood. In the story, you have this girl who is, at one hand, very comfortable being daddy's little girl. She's cradled and coddled, and she adores it, and at the same time, on the other hand, she also becomes the hunter, provider, gatherer in the woods for her family. On the one hand, the book describes her as breathtakingly beautiful in makeup and a dress and turning heads wherever she walks. At the same time, she's donned in full warrior gear, shooting an arrow through someone's throat. On the one hand, she is instinctively motherly. In fact, throughout the novels, every child she meets she can't help but mother. There's something innate in her, instinctively nurturing about her. In fact, as I read it, and I read it as a Christian, you're almost reminded of Genesis, where Adam names his wife Eve, the mother of all the living, before she has any children. He calls her the mother of all the living before she has children, as if to say that part of her is wired into who God made her to be, that she's going to be nurturing and gentle, and soft, and welcoming, and that's part of who she is. And so she's instinctively, throughout these novels, motherly to every child she meets, and yet at the same time is absolutely committed to the idea that she will never have children of her own. She, at, at one hand, is falling head over heels in love with a boy and wants to come alongside him, but at the same time is totally committed to the idea that she will never give herself to marriage and never let herself become another man's wife, just a wife. And, and you see as you read through these novels this sort of tension of, of here and there and this sort of confusion and this conflict and this muddled view of what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be mother? And, and we could keep talking, but I think into that great confusion and into that sort of conflicted worldview, God offers clarity. Because in the scriptures... God has given us clarity. If we're honest, we are as confused as the world around us because we take our cues from the culture and we figure out what men and women and marriage and parenting, 
fathers and mothers, husbands and wives are because we borrow our cues from the culture. And so we're often as confused as the world around us. And into that confusion, God presents the clarity of his word. Because God, who made us, and remember that he is our creator who made us, and as we read, as Kurt read for us, he made us male and female. The one who designed us and made us has not left us in the dark, sort of groping to figure out how we're supposed to act as men and women, as husbands and wives, as fathers and mothers, but God has made it clear. God has told us in the scriptures what it would mean. And so this morning, briefly, what I would want us to do is consider the clarity of God's word. Last week, we considered worshiping God in our homes, and we especially pressed dads. We said, Pastor Dad, you have been entrusted by God to lead your small flock and congregation of wife and children. Today, we want to compliment that and say, that doesn't mean mom is on the sidelines watching, sort of waiting to jump into the game, but rather mom has been given the high calling of motherhood. And here's what I would have us consider today, that motherhood was created for God, ruined by us, and redeemed by Jesus. That motherhood was created for God, ruined by us, and redeemed by Jesus. So if you're here and you're a mom, I pray and hope that today would be an encouragement to you and a push and wind into your sails to press you forward into your call. If you're here and you're a future mom or, or a woman who would like to be a mom, or if you're here and you're a man who's married to a woman who is a mom or may be a mom, or if you have a mom, okay, <laughs> listen. Listen and hear God's word to us, right? Because when God speaks to one part of the family, the rest of the family listens. When mom gets news, that means it matters to dad and to the children. When children get word, it matters to dad and mom. And so as, as God's word even speaks to part of our family, we listen in on the conversation. Motherhood was created for God, ruined by us, and redeemed by Jesus. Here's the first of it. Motherhood was created for God. Another way you could say this is that motherhood exists for the glory of God. Motherhood exists for the glory of God. Our children upstairs right now are in Sunday school, and one of the things that the four-year-olds are learning are these catechism questions. That just means questions that teach them the basics of the faith. And so they're being trained in these questions, and here are some of the simple questions that our four-year-olds are being asked and learning answers to. Who made you? And our four-year-olds will respond, God. What else did God make? God made everything. Why did God make you and everything? For his own glory. How can you glorify God by loving God and doing what he commands? Now hear that again. Those are simple truths that our four-year-olds are memorizing. And yet I want to say to us adults... They contain with them some profound and very important truths. I don't want you to miss them, so I want you to hear them again. The truths that our four-year-olds would instruct us is that God made you. God made you. That's simple. That means he gets to call the shots on who you are and how you are and what you are and how you live because God made you. And God made everything. And why did God make you and everything? He made it for his own glory. 
Now that is a simple line for a four-year-old to say, and yet I'm telling you, if you begin to wrestle with that simple question that a four-year-old can answer, it will leave you sort of beginning to wonder deep things. Because hear what again I said, that God made everything for his own glory. That means, do you know what the chief concern of God is? Himself. The highest opinion that God has in the universe is for his own glory. The highest concern that God has in his heart is that he would appear glorious to everyone. What that does is it puts you out of center stage. You are not the center of the universe. God is. And everything God made, he made for himself, for his own glory, so that he would be magnificent and known. And everything in the world is about him and for him and for his glory. God made you and God made everything for his own glory. Everything God is doing in the world is for himself, for his own glory. It is not ultimately for you or about you, but for himself. Now, you have to begin to wrestle with that because you know that the thing you hate the most is a self-centered person, right? We, we rub up wrong against people who are self-centered. And yet God is the one and the only being in the universe for whom being self-centered is both right and good. God is gloriously self-centered, and he ought to be. Right? What, what bothers you when you meet a self-centered person, when they act like they're the center of the universe, is what? What bothers you is they're not the center of the universe. But here's the thing about God. He is stuck being the center of the universe. God has no one else to point to. God has no one else to draw your attention towards. God is stuck being the most glorious and beautiful being there is. God is stuck being the center of the universe. And so the greatest blessing he can do for you is to draw you to himself. If he were to point you to look at someone else or look at yourself, he would hate you rather than love you because he'd be holding out that which is ultimately best for your soul, namely himself. God's the one being in the universe for whom when he says everything is about me, we should say that is loving because he's drawing our attention away from that which is lesser to him who is greatest and great of all. So God made you and God made everything for his own glory. And when that which God made does that for which God made it, God is glorified. When that which God made does what God made it for, God receives glory, which is his purpose in all the world, which is his highest purpose. So that's, that means that when rain falls, which is what it's supposed to do, God is glorified. When the sun shines, when the flower blooms, when snow melts, when the birds sing, all of it is raising up to glory to God because they are doing that for which they were made. Everything that does what it was made to do glorifies God. This is why Psalm 19 will say the whole creation is like a preacher with a megaphone saying God is brilliant and glorious and beautiful and majestic. Everything about creation is to the glory of God. And the highest pinnacle of God's creation was not birds or mountains or trees or stars or sun. The chief of God's creation were human beings, men and women. 
men and women who were created in his image and likeness. In Genesis 1, verse 27, the, the text that Kurt read for us, here's what it says. Hear it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our four-year-olds would remind us, God made you in his image and likeness for his own glory. And here's what that means. That as those who were created in the image and likeness of God, as those who are image bearers of God, we are supposed to reflect that God is glorious. We're supposed to reflect with who we are, with our lives, the truth about God. If I could give you an analogy, I'd say this, that when God made human beings, he intended for you to be a mirror. That your entire existence, your purpose, is to radiate and reflect back the truth of who God is. That's what you're here for. That every human being in every life is supposed to be a mirror that reflects back to God his own glory. He made us in his image and likeness so that we would tell the truth through our lives of who God is. So that when we love, we are reflecting God is love. When the world looks at us and sees us being holy, we're reflecting the truth that God is holy. When there's joy, we're reflecting that God is joy. And these truths of who God is is supposed to radiate through and be reflected from our lives to God. That's what we are. We are mirrors. So now here's the question. If we're mirrors who are reflecting God's glory and God gets glory from us, how is God going to get lots and lots of glory? He needs lots and lots of mirrors. He needs lots and lots of image bearers who are made in his image and likeness so that the whole world would be covered with his glory. If his desire is that the earth would be filled with the glory of God like the waters cover the sea, that's going to take lots and lots of mirrors. So no wonder the very first God command that God gives is not don't touch that, don't eat this. The very first command God gives Verses 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis is this. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Essentially, here's God's first command. He says to Adam and Eve, You two mirrors, I want you to have lots of mirrors. Make lots of mirrors so that the whole world is filled with the reflection of my glory. God wants to fill the earth with his glory as the waters cover the sea, and so he wants to fill the earth with image bearers who reflect the reality of who God is. So here's why I'm saying all of that. If all that is true, that means that motherhood is tied into God's cosmic purpose to bring glory to himself. That motherhood is the chief means that God has instituted in the world in which he will receive great glory. Motherhood is tied into God's central purposes and activity in the world, namely that he would receive great glory. And so when a Christian woman adheres to biblical motherhood and diligently works with great effort and toil to make sure that these little mirrors rightly reflect who God is, it results in the glory of God. Let me say that again. When a mom diligently, patiently, persistently 
gives her life and toils to make sure that these little mirrors, these little image bearers are growing up so that they might rightly reflect the glory of God. It is done unto the glory of God. Now, mom, why is that so important? If you're here and you're a mom, why is that so important? Why do I want you to hold on to that? Because you are going to need a huge, massive, epic vision of the glory of God if you're going to make sense of the day-to-day tasks of motherhood. You're going to need that massive, epic, inspiring, awe-inspiring, awesome vision of this is to the glory of God if you're going to make sense of the day-to-day, mundane, routine, menial, what seems meaningless and insignificant tasks of motherhood. You've got to keep that vision ahead of you to make sense of Monday through Friday. Right? If, if a high school student, he, that, that student is going to need to keep in mind a vision of graduating, getting a scholarship, and getting into college if she's going to make sense of why she's in the library for the 10th day rather than at the mall. Right? She's got to keep in mind this vision of walking across the stage, getting that scholarship, and going to college if she's going to make sense of why I'm at the the library right now highlighting this paragraph. Because that vision of the big picture will make sense of the day-to-day. Right? If an athlete, an athlete needs to keep in view the vision of a championship ring being sort of slid onto his finger if he's going to make sense of why he's doing another sprint and throwing up another free throw. He's got to see himself on that stage with the confetti falling down, the ring being put on his finger, if it's going to make sense for why he's in the gym, running again, throwing up another free throw. A builder has to keep in view the vision of a finished house and what this thing is going to look like if he's going to make sense of why he's hammering this single small nail because if you stare at the single small nail you're going to see that this thing is small and insignificant and and seems mundane and meaningless and pointless but if this small nail is part of a grander bigger more glorious vision then it gives sense to working hard to drive that nail in well likewise a mom must keep before her the epic massive vision the inspiring vision that this work is to the glory of God, that this is what God instituted from the beginning so that he would receive maximal glory if she's going to make sense of the day-to-day tasks of motherhood. As she's standing by the sink or she's kneeling by the crib changing yet another diaper, as she's putting in another load of laundry or sitting at the table helping with spelling again, She must tell her soul when everything in her world, her culture, her colleagues, her peers, and herself would say, this is a waste. This is not what I went to college for. When everything in her soul tells her that, she must hold back, this is to the glory of God. Because God is glorified when these little image bearers mirror who God is to his glory. As she's managing her home, And she does so with creativity and care. She is reflecting the truth that God 
is creative and careful. As she does her task and does it with excellence and diligence, she is reflecting the truth that God is excellent and diligent. As she works with all her intellect and all her talents and all her training that God has given her, she must remember this is for and to the glory of God. Keeping that vision in view will help make sense of Tuesday morning. Keeping that vision in view will make sense at 3 a.m. when you're putting the baby to sleep again. One pastor said it like this. He said, what is involved in motherhood? He said, after birth pangs bring children into the world, there come years of life pangs. It is a mother's task and privilege to oversee the forging of her personality in her sons and daughters. For this, she must set a tone in the home which builds strong character. Hers it is to take a great Christian principles and practically apply them in everyday affairs, doing it simply and naturally. It is her responsibility to analyze each child mentally, physically, socially, spiritually. Talents are to be developed. Virtues must be instilled. Faults are to be patiently corrected. Young sinners are to be evangelized. She is building men and women for God. And results may not be visible until she has labored for 15 or 20 years. What is going to keep you in the game and not quit for 10 and 15 and 20 years? You must keep in view this vision. This exists for the glory of God. On the one hand, mom, you know that your work is so small. Right After all, in light of everything that everyone is doing and the massive accomplishments and achievements that make front page news that everyone admires and talks about, you, after all, are just watching your children and managing just your small home. And yet, like every single brushstroke makes up the grand canvas, and like every drop of water that makes up the grand ocean, You must keep in view, you are playing your small part in the grand picture that God is building to his glory. So that as you do that in your home, and you do that in your home, and you do that in your home, and you do that in your home, each of them are becoming brushstrokes that tell of the glory of God. So that God's vision from the beginning, that the world might be filled with good mirrors that reflect who he is, would be accomplished, and he's doing it through what you do, Monday through Monday, week after week, day after day, year after year. Your work is not small. God values it and treasures it greatly, and we honor you this day. And we want to be the kind of community that exalts this call because we exalt God. There's more we could say, but I want you to hear again. Motherhood was created for God. I'll say the next two things more quickly. Motherhood was for God, and it was ruined by us. Motherhood was made for the glory of God, and it was ruined by us. When you keep reading Genesis, you find that the happy days of humanity last two pages. That's it. And from page three till the end of the book, God is trying to undo what man did on page three. There's two days of happy days for humanity. And after that, everything is broken, and the rest of the book is the work of God to undo what man did on page 3. 
When you get to page 3, when you get to Genesis 3, what you find is that God's enemy who hates God and hates the glory of God and wants to diminish God's glory and not see it spread throughout the earth like waters cover the sea, this enemy comes to the man and the woman. More specifically, he comes to the woman and the man because the enemy's design from the beginning is to subvert God's order and subvert God's design. God commands the man to lead, and so he immediately, God's enemy, goes to the woman and deceives the woman. And essentially, you could read three later at home, but essentially what he says is, did God really say that? And you can hear the lying lisp of the serpent as you think about your own life and the many things to which he whispers into your ear. Did God really expect you to live that way? And then he goes on to say, God did that because he knew that if you ate of this fruit, you would know good and evil. And so what he's basically telling her is, God's holding out on you. And God knows that this is the key to the good life. And that's the enemy's trick from the beginning to women and men. Everything that God has designed, he designs to do the opposite. Everything God calls good, he makes look bad. Everything God calls bad, he makes it look good. God tells you go this way, he tells you go that way. God tells you go that way, he tells you go this way. God tells you do this, he tells you don't do this. God tells you don't do this, he tells you do it. And in every lie, he promises, and I promise you, this is the good life. You take this, you give in here, you do that, you don't do this, and you're going to have the good life. He comes to the woman and says, don't you know, this is the key to the good life. And you could apply that a million ways. As, as you seek to follow God in whatever area of your life, you know you hear the lying lisp that tells you, the good life I promise is in this, in not doing that which God calls you to. We could go through it, but I want to move on. So what happens when he promises them the good life for doing things their way rather than God's way? They eat of the fruit, and literally in that moment, everything is broken. It might have tasted sweet for about a minute on their tongue, by the time it got to their stomachs, everything is broken. Their relationship with God, broken. Their relationship with each other, broken. Their relationship with the created world, broken. All of it is broken. They were walking with God, enjoying God, loving God. They eat that thing, and the minute after, they're hiding from God. They're hoping he doesn't find out or find them or see them. Their one chapter goes singing love songs to each other frolicking through the garden, happy as can be, one second after this fruit has been digested, the man turns on the woman, and now there's conflict. And that conflict has never stopped. Right? Everything that God had designed, two days of harmony, and now it's broken. If you can picture it, it's like this quilt, and, and it's torn now, and it's ripped, and it's broken and then you find in chapter 3 that God curses each of them in their domains. And motherhood becomes a part of that curse, and it's ruined by our sin. If you read Genesis 3, you find that he curses both the man and the women in their domains. The man was called to cultivate, to work the garden, to keep. He's the provider. He's supposed to work hard, break a sweat for his family. And now that which he works at will work against him. It will be with thorns and thistles. And you men can testify it is hard to try and provide for your families. To the woman, her call was to be her, his helper and to be the mother of all the living, to bear children, and she is cursed in her domain of home. 
And so now God comes and says, in your relationship with your husband, there will always be this fight for leadership. You'll never submit to him, and he will always try to rule over you, and there will always be this conflict for whose head here, who leads here. And not only is she cursed in her relationship with her husband, she's now cursed in this task to manage home and raise children. God says, I tell you, it will be in great pain that you bear children. Right? You, you know. And then in great pain that you bring them forth. So natural, epidural, whatever, you know that curse is true. I was there. I saw the curse. Right? <laughs> it is in great pain that children are brought forth. And in great pain that they are raised up. So after the birth pangs were over, the life pangs began. And so, Mom, as you're banging your head against a wall Thursday night and going, why won't these kids just listen? This is why. Because the world is broken and our relationships are broken and motherhood is broken. And the whole thing becomes under the curse. And here's what happens as a result of all of that. Perhaps most profound of all, as a result of all of that, Remember I said men and women were called to be image bearers of God, little mirrors. Here's what sin did. Sin took a giant hammer and smashed the mirror. And now the image of God is broken. And you no longer rightly reflect who God is. In fact, you are nothing but a broken, distorted, ruined picture of God. Rather than showing off that he is love, you show forth hate. Rather than showing forth that he is peace, you show forth strife. Rather than showing forth joy, you show forth ruinness and sorrow and depression. Everything about you is like this broken mirror. And as hard as you try, you're a broken mirror. And now what motherhood is doing is filling the earth with broken mirrors. So now broken mirrors fill the earth like water fills the sea. And the whole earth is filled with this fractured, distorted, ruined vision of God. But there is good news. Thankfully, the story does not end on that depressing note because motherhood was created by God, ruined by us, and redeemed by Jesus redeemed by Jesus. That's the last thing I want to say. Motherhood was redeemed by Jesus. Here's what I want you to hear. I think deep down in the soul of every mom, you want to know that what you're doing is significant. You want to know that what you're doing is worthwhile and valued by God. Deep down in the soul of every mom, you can put up with what the culture tells you and what your peers think of you and what your insides are telling you. You can put up with all of it if you were secure and you God thinks this is worthwhile. God thinks this is glorious. And I want you to hear this. I think God pays the highest compliment to motherhood possible because after the fall, he does not abandon motherhood, but redeems it through his son. In fact, God says this very thing ruined by sin is what I'm going to use to ruin sin. Because Jesus was brought forth into the world through motherhood. God, I think, is, is so intent on redeeming this to say, I'm not abandoning this. In fact, this thing that was ruined by sin is the very thing I am going to use to ruin sin. 
I will have the last word on this, not sin. That's why in Genesis 3.15, you don't get out of the chapter, even in the midst of their ruin, without one glorious promise in verse 15. Because 3.15 says this, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians call this the proto-evangelion. That's fancy for the first announcement of the gospel. And in that garden, the very hour that sin had ruined motherhood, God promises to redeem it. And God says, you know what I'm going to do? Through mothers who bear children after children is going to come one offspring, one seed, one child. And through motherhood, I'm going to save the whole world. I want you to hear that. It is not through the industry of man, the vocation of man, or the labors of men that God has promised the hope of the world. God promised the hope of the world through motherhood. God didn't abandon it. The hope of the world, the hope of the human race rested in motherhood. Because Galatians 4 says, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Right? I thought about it this week. God didn't send Jesus in a pod like Clark Kent or, or Superman. He didn't show up in the middle full grown. Instead, God saw it fitting and wise to have him conceived in a woman's body, born from a woman's womb, nursed at a woman's breast, raised by a woman's hand, fed by a woman's care, trained in the home, managed by that woman. And God saw it fit to bring salvation to the whole world through that very enterprise. Sin would not have the last word, but God would. And, and here's what the last thing I want to say. And when Jesus was born to that woman, you finally had the perfect mirror. In a world filled with broken mirrors and distorted visions of God, you had one perfect, spotless mirror. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the image, the Bible says, of the invisible God. And Jesus is the glory of God. So when you looked at Jesus, you were actually seeing who God was. Think of that. In a world filled with broken mirrors, you picture one mirror standing perfect, spotless, pure, clean, rightly telling the truth about who God is, rightly reflecting who God is to the world. And the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for sinners, God broke him, and in breaking him, made you whole. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus shattered, Jesus broken, Jesus ruined on the cross, and through his wounds and through his breaking, we were made whole. And now again, the potential exists for us to rightly reflect who God is. And here's the process, if you are a believer, God is daily conforming you into the image of who? Into that perfect mirror, into Jesus, so that day by day you are doing better and better at telling the truth to the world of who God is. Day by day, God is working in you to better and better reflect the glory of God to the world. And so we have good news the great and perfect mirror came and was broken and shattered for us 
so that through his breaking we might be made whole and we might reflect again the glory of God. And our four-year-olds would tell us, that's why you exist. And that's why motherhood exists. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, be gracious to us now and send your Holy Spirit generously to apply to our hearts the word of God which we have heard with our ears. Take away any words that were excessive or distracting, but do bury into good soil in our hearts the seed of your word that it might rest there and be planted and grow. We pray for each heart as it receives this word that you would even now protect it so that it wouldn't be snatched away by Satan who even now is whispering in our ears, don't buy that. Don't listen to that. That's not the good life. Here's the good life. You, you cast him away. Even now, protect the word that it wouldn't just take root quickly and the first moment adversity, it would be burned away. Don't let it take soil for a little while and grow up, but then be choked out by the cares and concerns of this world that compete with your call to us. But rather protect and nurture your word so that it might grow up and produce great fruit. We pray that Seven Mile Road would be filled with godly mothers. Hear that prayer. We pray it together through adoption and through child rearing and through biological children. We would be a community that loves children and sees them as blessings which you call them and be a community that honors and esteems mothers, that they would know that they have our full respect and that we honor them as we try to seek and honor God. Be with every heart as it hears the word to be humble and receive that which you want to say to us this morning. Be gracious and good to us, we pray, and we do give you thanks for Jesus our Lord who rightly reflected God, who was broken for us, and restored us as he was broken. We pray this in his name. Amen.